0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 8am, this is The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning. It is Friday the 3rd of March and as such, this is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. Now we're just going to jump right into the thick of things by starting with the Windsor Framework. Shaoning, maybe you'd like to tell us why, why we're talking about the Windsor Framework. Remember Brexit? Remember, remember, remember? Three years
0: ago, is it? It seemed like a lifetime. Actually, I mean, I remember the UK voting for this, what, at least five, six years ago, and I was in total shock because that time I was still in investments and I never, ever thought that the UK would separate from the European Union.
1: I remember in law school learning about EU law and the lecturer saying, the the UK will never leave the European Union, you know, it's too ingrained in our system. And lo and behold, in 2016, The people voted. To, go at, to get out? Albeit it was a very,
0: very tight race, right? There was a very thinness of margins. I think it was like literally 51 to 49. It really shows showed how polarised the United Kingdom was and you could see some parts of UK very pro-European. Scotland, for example, who still wants to leave UK. some part, some Scottish, of course, want to be independent and go back to the European Union. But that's, of course, another story for another day.
1: Another WTF.
0: A done. Another, another whole 30 minutes, okay? But basically, this is probably the last part to the Brexit and it was it's all about the Northern Ireland because it shares a common border with the Republic of Ireland and they couldn't decide how are these you know, they want to be they want to be seen as seamless in this, this island but how do they actually allow for seamless transfer of goods? That was a big, big issue and it took three years Boris Johnson stood in his way this was the mess he created everyone jokes about it but finally they came up with the Windsor Framework And it gives the UK government an emergency break on new EU laws applied in the Northern. Uh, Ireland, if politicians agree So what they're going to do is have a green lane for traders Scrapping all trade restrictions Between Great Britain and Northern Ireland So there'll be new freedoms on medicine Chill meats and pets to move over the Irish Sea So yeah, you can bring your dogs, cats, whatever It also re- rewrites part of the existing protocol To allow the UK government to set VAT re- rates in Northern Ireland uh, So apparently it's a pretty much accepted
1: deal it's accepted by the Rishi Sunak government and also the EU Commission, but I think they still need to pass this through Parliament, and especially the Northern Ireland parties need to consent to this. I think they're still uh, in; they're still considering. Um, they're still considering whether to accept it or not. And uh, the Parliament in Northern Ireland has actually been suspended for quite some time because political parties were unhappy with the way the Northern Ireland Protocol was implemented. In the Brexit agreement. So hopefully this is progress. This will see a return of of Parliament in Northern Ireland. Now, apparently this was only
0: possible because Rishi Sunak, according to The Guardian, used his charm offensive. Okay, so um, basically he charmed his way through a deal. He was very welcoming to uh, Ersillon von der Leyen, which Boris Johnson wasn't. So it has made a big difference. Now, is this the end of the saga? Uh, Not really, because I think uh, we mentioned Scotland earlier on. And I think the question has always been, can the UK survive being out of the European Union, right? Uh, we did see they are facing economic challenges, inflation, I think, above, what, 15%, food prices all-time high, property prices out of the reach, out of its most of its own citizens, crisis in National Health Service. Uh, apparently, people are waiting, like, months just for some simple surgeries. So, Rishi Sunak, yeah, you got over this mountain, but there's still many, many, many more mountains to climb.
1: We have seen the British, um, the UK, try to beef up its trade deals with countries um, outside of the EU. They've been on a tour really trying to uh, uh, improve. Charm offensive. Charm offensive, exactly. Uh, but uh, how soon we'll see those efforts bear fruit is the big question because they are taking a hit from leaving the EU. I think even now we see that uh, the UK has, is con- the economy did contract in the third quarter of last year and uh, again, it's all um, all these things remain to be seen and how, on how they will play out. Yeah, I was performing, I think, a European
0: major G G20 country. Uh, but amazingly their stock market is actually doing pretty well. It's up 6% on a year-to-date basis and of course we know the reason for that is many UK companies actually
1: don't have much operations in the United Kingdom. They tend to be international ones. Anyway, so we see the EU and the UK kind of reaching a rapprochement. Um, other countries though, not so much. Uh, we do see uh, even greater schisms between the US and China. Um, and this is over uh, the Theory or the question of what caused the COVID nineteen pandemic. So there has been um, some new information or new positions being put forward by the US um, that uh, seem to, uh, I guess, give effect or or give support to the theory that uh, this virus could have originated from a lab leak. Yeah. So let's rewind about this. This Is honestly sounds like a
0: work of fiction, doesn't it? So this was a report. that came out from the Wall Street Journal was an exclusive at that time. So the US Energy Department has basically concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely, and I'm going to use this word, most likely arose from a lab leak. And this was according to a classified intelligence report provided to the White House and key members of Congress. So this shift by the Energy Department uh, is a change because they had previously, they were undecided on how the virus emerged. And suddenly, Now it shows
1: that it could have been possible. It's um. It, I have to say, reading what what we know about it, there's very there's no clear. I guess reports we don't get to see what the reports are, right? We don't see what the intelligence in. But uh, the U.S. intelligence community is divided still on this. Although mm-hmm. you have the Energy Department, uh, and I think also the FBI. FBI that has come out to say that um, they they think this is this is a likely theory. Uh, but others have um, have not. Uh, yeah. And I think even in the medical field or even the scientific field, I think this lab leak theory is a very divisive issue. You've got um, Um, uh, scientists on both sides um, who are arguing with each other about it.
0: Okay, so the Energy Department, let's be clear about this, made its judgment with low confidence. What does that mean? According to people who have read the classified report,
1: and if any of you guys are wondering why the Energy Department is commenting yeah. on this, it's because they have control of the national labs. So they, um, I think, they oversee the the U.S. National Laboratory Network, um, and so you know they have that scientific intelligence um, report or it sharing going on. Okay,
0: but whatever it is, because you've got um, CIA, they're kind of undecided. Other agencies won't comment. I think uh, there's four agencies which also government agencies, that, you know, it's likely to be of a natural transmission. So even within government departments in the United States, which are somehow all involved in COVID-19, there's differing views. And you can see actually the White House being very quiet on it right? Because this definitely isn't something that pleases uh, Beijing for sure. But I think the point to take home is that we shouldn't stop searching for where COVID-19 came from, right? Because the reason for it is not to lay blame is so that we don't have another pandemic or if there is another virus, we know how to deal with it and we can only deal with it if
1: there is open sharing of information and data. That's true. I agree with that completely but I suppose the present geopolitical conditions make this kind of rational thinking rational discussion, rational post- very, It's just really challenging what with um, U.S. and China tensions percolating at this stage. Um, but in any case, we're going to be following that story uh, closely because it is pretty interesting to see how these things play out. 9.46 a.m. Let's take a break for some messages. We are going to come back with a look at what the top stories from the local side are. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. 9.48am, you are listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show on The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. Now we are turning our attention to some of the uh, headlines that have come out in the local news this week. You may have seen them, you may have missed them. What's first up, Xiaoning?
0: Oh, this is a headline from The Vibes, which I do like. It's entitled, Civil Servants Must Take Lead Over Private Consultants, says our Prime Minister, because the government has spent hundreds of millions on on the external experts when full potential of public sector remains untapped. And I have to say, when I look at some of these blueprints that the government comes out, you know some consultant has done that, right? Because there's a certain look and feel to it. And I'm not saying that there's no role for consultant. For sure there is. And getting external help is sometimes useful. As the external eye and they come with international expertise. They may have done a project similar to this in another country, so they bring the best of their experience and knowledge. But hey, I think what the Prime Minister said is is very valid, right? We want to empower the civil servants. We have come up, you know, that was one of the first things he said, right, when he, he was the Prime Minister, that he wants civil servants to speak up, especially when he thinks that he has done something wrong or the government has done, the ministers have done something wrong. Because as we know in Malaysia, governments come and go, but civil servants remain. So we need to empower them because... We need the institutions that these institutions to remain independent and also strong.
1: I I absolutely agree, and a part of me is actually really uh, baffled that um, so much is spent on um, getting info from consultants when you do have a a legion of civil servants that are working on issues close to the ground um, and. I do wonder how much of their input is actually being taken into all these really pretty uh, policy papers that we see that are launched, mm. you know. Um, and I, I agree that this is a great step, a great signal if uh, leaders are actually serious that civil servants should be empowered to speak up. Because I feel like every prime minister has said something to the effect, but do they really mean it, you know? Yeah.
0: Are they really going to take their advice, right? And, you know, in a way, I think it's a, it's a good way to also attract the best into government service, right? Because you're talking about, hey, you can have a role in policy shaping, in changing the direction the country is taking. We want people who have a certain level of experience. So, you know, it it's basically the government moving as one unit, rather than, you know, you get a batch of consultants coming in, telling us what to do, and then they say, bye-bye, it's your problem, you implement it. And then leaving it to the government servants to roll it out when maybe in the first place, it di- it, sh- it didn't work for whatever reason. But if you come up with a policy yourself, right, and... Hopefully, then you have a, a buy-in.
1: That's right, the ownership of um of the policy. And you can save money
0: along the way, but I'm not saying that there's no role for consultants. There is, of
1: course. It's always good to get um, perspectives. It's always good to get uh, that those different voices in the room. Yeah. Um. But yes, hopefully this does signal a trend towards empowering the civil service. Um. Something that is really sorely needed and for a long time. Uh, turning our attention to other uh, issues, uh, I think what's been coming up in recent days or in the recent in the past week has been a look at the Constituency Development Fund. So this is the fund that's given to members of parliament in order to service their constituencies. Uh, and there wasn't any mention of this in budget 2023. I think uh, the prime minister was quite silent on, on how this is going to be allocated. There had been calls before that for this fund to be given in um, equal measure or equitable measure to both parties MPs on government and also opposition MPs because historically they haven't received the same allocation or at all.
0: Yeah and I think this then becomes a political weapon right and when you restrict funding to the opposition ultimately who is paying the price? It's not the opposition party it's the rakyat in that constituency and why should they be discriminated against because they opted for someone that's not in government. That choice is free. They should be allowed to make that choice freely without any consequences. But now you're sending out the message there is a consequence. If you, chose, if you choose to vote somebody else, you will get less money for your constituency. That that goes against the whole concept of democracy to me.
1: I am um, with you 100%. I think the argument is coming out that, hey, we don't want to um, empower certain people extremist positions of the opposition so why would we give them funding to, to uh, I guess perpetuate those views and that's some of the arguments that people are arguing for um, in opposition to equitable CDF funding Yeah. so
0: shouldn't there be some rules or you know guidelines in terms of how the, the members of parliament can and should spend their money there should then be some transparency so I'm not saying hey let's just write a blank check to every it's MP it's not a blank check you know go out and spend however you want or whatever you feel like you know as long as you think it's, it's, your, it's your discretion no We in parliament, MPs, government, accountability has to be a cornerstone of their activity, of their actions.
1: And I think it's important to realize that Malaysia is never going to mature as a democracy if we still stick to these very old patriarchal, not patriarchal, yes, patriarchal, but (laughs) patronage. These rules of patronage um, that, you know, the ruling government wants to stay in power I think we've seen the past five years, the fact that we've changed government so many times, the fact that we've changed from a ruling government of 60 years to a completely new one. Uh, Every four years? Uh, No, every year, uh, what? We had four in four years, four governments. I mean, the point is political stability relies on these kinds of institutional reforms that will grant equal level playing field for either side of the mm. political divide, you know? So you could be in government today, but you you could be in opposition tomorrow and you want to make sure that the rules will also be able to support a thriving opposition as well.
0: Yeah, because you want check and balance, you want open debate everywhere. And, you know, we, we've got some MPs from uh, the government that are in support of that. I think one very vocal voice has been Hassan Karim. He's a Harapan MP for... Pase Gudang. He has basically called for equal allocation of constituency funds for MPs across the board and he also wants legislation for that because I think you need to legislate it because otherwise it really then becomes this political
1: tool depending on the government of the day. That's right. Um, Let's take a look at this rather curious headline or an interesting headline and this is regarding um, B Corp and their new board.
0: Yeah, so they're going to have an all-woman board. Um, and I was a bit surprised by this, you know, because, yeah, it's the first ever. Um, and I think the question is, why suddenly are they doing this, you know? So it, it was a bit of a surprise to me. So what happened is that all the uh, male directors literally resigned, which included, of course, the uh, chairman himself Dan Vincentan and uh, Robin Tan, who he's who is also his son now are you for or against this, shots?
1: well when I saw the headline I I've, I thought it was quite curious I thought it was quite forward thinking in a way um quite um it's I think it's a great experiment right uh, mm. in order to see to see the judge the efficacy of a board if you're looking at it, because it's been so skewed to one gender, like what's, what could happen if we go to the other side? So I think... um, Okay, it, for me, I have my reservations because I always think uh, boards should
0: represent society, represent corporate Malaysia, represent Malaysia, not corporate Malaysia, Malaysia. So in some way, if you have an all-women's board and it's a listed company, right? It's, it's not doing something just 100% on women's work. Do you then have...
1: But why does views it views
0: of everybody? Why does it matter then if it's uh, You mean it shouldn't be gender specific? It's a bit like it's just like when nowadays when you go for a, a a discussion. You don't want to have only men in the room, right? You want to have a diversity of views. Shouldn't that be the same when it comes to board of directors?
1: I guess an argument can be made that women have been excluded from the room for so long that uh, why not give them a chance to control that room for a bit then to see how things go? I,
0: I don't have an issue about the control, but don't you want to have at least different voices in the room? That's my point, right? And I think the question then we should have ourselves as Corporate Malaysia is, are we allowing more women to get into the boards? Are there barriers to entry? Are there glass ceilings? Still left that we should remove as soon as possible. And sometimes you really notice that you own, open an annual report. And it's just like you see this token female and then you're disappointed. You don't want that also.
1: Well, we will be following the work of the new B Corp board, uh, seeing what progress they make or what uh, you know innovations they introduce. Uh, we are coming up to 9.57am in the morning, though. And that's it for our weekly roundup on WTF. Coming up next, we have the 10am News Bulletin. And then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.